We're uh, in Proverbs chapter 23, and <clears throat> excuse me. And we are looking at uh, the major themes of Proverbs, of course, and we are in what probably will be our final lesson on this, the major theme, the theme of wine and strong drink in Proverbs 23. Just going through the major verses in Proverbs that deal with the subject, see what they say. We've covered a number of things. The last thing we covered that is worth mentioning is in chapter 31. I'll just, I'll, well, I'm in Acts. That's not going to help us at all, is it? Well, yeah, well, it wouldn't help with the particular issue at hand. All right, Proverbs 31 and verse, uh, and this is the verse, is a verse that was quoted. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes strong drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish, and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. And so we looked at the principles that we see from this that we're able to kind of draw out of it, um, even though we are not, you know, at least in a, in a literal earthly sense, we're not uh, kings, we're not princes. We are, however, uh, you know, kings and priests of God. That's what the Bible says for every believer and child of God. So uh, there's lessons to be learned from there. But we'll move on to chapter 23, and I want to read probably the, this is the go-to passage that deals with alcohol, and, uh, and so we will we'll examine this this morning. Proverbs 23 and verse number, starting in verse number 29, 29. The Bible says, Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. All right, let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you for uh, the admonitions, the warnings, the cautions, the, the commandments that you've given to us in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us to figure all these things out on our own. But I pray, Lord, that you would give us humble and, um, humble and tender hearts to be willing to, to hear your word and to be willing to act upon it no matter the cost. Help us, Lord, and give us understanding as we look in these passages, Lord, especially, Lord, give me wisdom to know how uh, to, to put these truths and to make them uh, accessible and helpful to your people. And uh, I pray that you'd give us all a heart that would be just inclined to do your will, inclined to do your commandments, even as we look in Proverbs and uh, we seek to glean wisdom from what it says Lord, thank you for everyone that's here and those that are listening in as well that can't be here this morning. 
Lord, please help your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew Henry said this, and you know I criticized Matthew Henry last week, and I believe rightfully so, uh, but, uh, but not everything he says is bad. Uh, in fact, most of what he says is really good. So, uh, but this is, uh, I thought this was a fitting thing in his commentary on this passage. He said this, Take heed of the bait for fear of the hook. Take heed of the bait for fear of the hook. And what he means in, in, that, uh, in that statement, that proverb, if you will, that's a proverb, is basically the, the central teaching from these verses, 29 through 35, is this. Avoid the wine, avoid the sorrow. That's basically the, the, the central theme that's being taught here. Avoid the wine, avoid the sorrow. Now, I, I, I want to lay this out just at the beginning because I'll, I'll address it later because the question of wine is strong Greek. Most people, especially, it doesn't matter what form of Christian, you know, loosely termed they might be, almost everyone will agree with the idea that drunkenness is a sin, okay? Drunkenness is a sin. That's, that's without question. And by drunkenness, generally speaking, that's understood to mean someone who habitually and constantly and regularly gets drunk. Now, now, if we just accept that, if we accept that definition, and I'll accept it for the moment, then there are a lot of drunkards in our world. And I'm not talking about people who, you know, who have, who have PTSD and have nothing else to turn to. I'm talking about people, college-aged people that binge drink. I'm talking about, I'm talking about what we might call regular people that hold down jobs on the weekend just just totally get hammered every weekend, all weekend. I'm not talking about the people whose lives are completely destroyed with alcohol and the effects of it, but I'm talking about normal, upstanding people. Like, in other words, the way they would be viewed. People who, like I said, have families, hold down jobs, and sometimes moms and dads and husbands and wives are doing these things together. And I have video evidence of it in my own family. Not this family, obviously, but uh, but in my family growing up, people who held jobs and all those things, and but they did that. And so most people understand from a scriptural perspective that is a sin. It is a transgression of God's law. We also know that uh, if, if we're honest with the scripture, Ephesians 5.18 says very plainly that it says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So based upon that verse, without delving into it anymore, we can see just right there, getting drunk, not a habitual practice, but even one time is a sin, is a sin, just like any other sin, just like using foul language or being unfaithful to your wife or, or you know, stealing from someone or whatever. It's a sin just like any other sin. The question, though, that is always, if you approach this passage, if someone approaches this passage with an agenda, in other words, they, they come at it with a predetermined outcome that they desire concerning alcohol, and they approach this passage, they are going to focus on verse 30, and they're going to specifically focus on the word long. They that tarry long at the wine. 
And so the argument is going to go, well, you know, I can drink. It's okay for me to drink alcohol as long as I don't get drunk. And there, at that, at that point, is where the rub is going to be, right there. It's how one defines drunk. That's the question. And that is what this passage deals with. And really, that's, you know, and again, you know, I'm, I know I'm mostly talking to people who are either born-again believers or who are at least, you know, professing born-again believers. And so, you know, I'm, I'm making some assumptions here about, you know, about kind of the perspective because there are a lot of different, different opinions on this matter. And so that's what this passage deals with is, is uh, getting drunk. Uh, they that tarry long at the wine. So let's look at verse number 29. Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes. Obviously, these are little uh, pointed jabs at, at someone who has been influenced by alcohol and who is drunk. All right, this is obviously what it's referring to. Now, the thing I want, to, want you to look at is the word woe and the word sorrow. The word woe and the word sorrow. And I just want to ask you a question. Think about your life when you're totally sober, which I hope is the case for everyone here, like all the time. The exception might be when you, when you come out of surgery or something, right? Do you not have enough sorrow and misery and suffering in your life? As, as, as a totally sober person, you think of people who in our church that have been uh, that have suffered through illnesses. I think of my wife. I think of Mrs. Mark. I think of others who have suffered with various illnesses and stuff that you wish would go away, and if you could snap your fingers, it'd be gone yesterday, right? But it's not, and that is a certain amount of suffering, a certain amount of sorrow. We have sorrow from the loss of family members. We have sorrow from uh, disappointments in our lives. You know, you know, sorrow that comes from sometimes comes of divorce. Sorrow that comes from children being wayward. Sorrow that comes from things we do. Sorrow that comes from things that other people do unto us. Here's the thing. We have sorrow, I think, most everyone of any, of any adult age, middle age and above, we have sorrow in full measure enough that we don't need to go, go about adding to it. That's the point. And see, this is actually, what we see here is actually adding to the sorrow. This is us voluntarily, willfully engaging in something that is going to add sorrow to us. Now, again, I'm going to bring this up several times because it, be, it has to be understood. At that point is when you're going to hear someone pipe in and say, well, I'll just drink a little. And again, we'll, we'll discuss that in just a minute because that's just simply not the way it works. It's just simply not the way it works. But we have enough sorrow in our life that we don't need to go, go around doing things that add to that sorrow such that, uh, so, so that we have even more than we had to begin with. That's just, again, we're dealing with Proverbs, which is a book about wisdom. That's just not wise, right? Forget about, you know, everybody, again, we talked about this previously, but everybody wants a commandment. Thou shalt not drink alcohol or whatever. But what about the wisdom of it? That's a valid question, and this is what Proverbs is primarily dealing with. What about the wisdom of it? And here's the thing. We're willing to risk, we're willing to risk 
the pain, the additional pain and sorrow that is totally and absolutely unnecessary for the brief amount of pleasure. And that is the name of the game with every sin, is it not? We're willing to risk the pain and suffering that comes with that, that you cannot detach from it for that moment, that little brief moment of pleasure that comes from that sin. Of course, we all know that's a, that's a, a common you know, that's a common problem that every sin carries with it. I thought about sorrow, and just by chance, I think the Lord works these things out on the way. Most every day, most every morning, I listen to a, like a 10-minute news kind of summary broadcast. It's a podcast, actually. And um, this, every Sunday, they have a special one that they cover just one topic. And it's usually a study or something like that. It's not really news, like uh, recent news but this one was, it just happened to be the one this morning was on the subject of alcohol. And, I'm sorry, it was on cancer. It was on cancer, that's right. But during that, in the podcast, they were interviewing an epidemiologist and an oncologist. And he was talking about different causes of cancer and stuff. And here's what he said during that, during that podcast. He said, that one in 20 cancers in the United States, one in 20 cancers, occurrence of cancer, are linked to alcohol use. Not abuse, use. And the more studies that are being, that are being conducted on the presence of ethyl alcohol, right, in our bodies, in the human body, the more studies are showing that that is contributing to the, to the occurrence of cancer in the human body, Okay. Now, 1 in 20, you might say 1 in 20 is not a big chance, and I agree with you. It's not. But why? Right? Why? That's the question. Again, we're talking from the perspective of Proverbs. The question is why? Why increase it? You know, I don't want to increase my chance of cancer 1 20th. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> but why? For what to what end? Again, from the perspective of Proverbs, what is the wisdom in that? Notice what it says in verse 29 again, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions? Do we, and we're going to talk about this this morning in, in Acts 15, do we ha not have enough contentions without being drunk? <laughs> do we not have enough problems in our families, between siblings, between our children, between our moms and dads and our family members and our friends and our coworkers or whatever, do we not have enough contention that we should add, put ourselves in a position where those will be added to? Again, it's silly. And we, are, we have already seen in our previous study of Proverbs, wine is a mocker, strong drink is what? What's the next word? Raging, which, is a, which is, means what? Anger. It's anger. It inflames anger. It's useless. It's utterly void and vain of any profit at all. Who hath babbling? I looked this up and this startled me. Now, when you think of babbling, what do you immediately think of? Come on now, help me, help me. Unintelligible talk. I think of primarily somebody like babies. Exactly. In other words, they talk and you don't understand what they're saying. That's what I think of when I think of babbling. That is not what it means. Not in this context. That's the way we use it. And that's one definition. Of course, you know, I'm a word nerd. Listen to this. To talk excessive, excessively or inappropriately. To chatter quickly, excitedly, or at length. 
Now, what do we know the Scripture says about talking? The Bible says that if we refrain our lips, we'll be counted a man of wisdom, right? The Bible says, he that, well, help me, I'm, I'm, losing, I'm losing the verse uh, about speaking excessively and wanting not sin. In other words, there'll, there'll be an abundance. Thank you. In the multitude of words, there one not sin. Thank you. So that means the more we talk, the more likely we are to use our words you know, in an inappropriate way. Well, the, the effect of alcohol upon a person, again, it's not like, it's not like, it's not like okay, well, I'm sober right now and I've taken, I've, I've, I have drunk three drinks and now I'm drunk. That's not how it works. It is a gradual increase of the blood alcohol concentration in the body. And with that gradual increase comes gradual effect. So what starts out small, it gets more pronounced the more you drink. Obviously, this is not like new information to any of us. Somebody, so there's no way that you, you and I can, can talk about being drunk as if, you know, as if you flip a switch. It's more like this. This is the way people often like to define it. Not drunk, drunk, wrong. It's more like this. It's more like this. That should be a warning to us. That should be a warning to us. Now, I'll, I'll talk about this line in just a minute. But if, you, if, if alcohol's effect, according to the Scripture, is to talk, to talk excessively and inappropriately, to speak indiscreetly, that means we're going to say things that we should not be saying. Why? Because of the influence of alcohol. Well, you say, well, I'm not drunk. To the degree that that alcohol is in your system and my system is the degree to which it will affect how you talk. Anyone who denies that is not being honest. That's just not, it's just not honest. Who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause. Again, I just reiterate, is, you know, how, much, how many surgeries do we have to have? How many you know, accidents do we have to have? Broken bones uh, by natural occurrences and accidents when we're totally sober that we need to add to it by putting ourselves in a position where we're going to hurt ourselves. It's just, it's just not wise. It's just not wise. Who hath redness of eyes? Now notice verse 30. They that tarry long at the wine. They, excuse me, they that go to seek mixed wine. Now if you would, hold your place here. Look at Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Verse 11. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 11, you also have a woe, which we just read in verse 29. Verse 11 says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night to wine inflame them. Now, what is being described here? This is being described as a person who gets up in the morning and they drink until night to get drunk. If you were to go to the liquor store and you were to pick anything in that store, would it take you from morning until night drinking it to get drunk? No. We talked about this before, that when the Bible refers to wine, it refers to anything, any liquid that comes out of a grape. 
when it's first pressed all the way until you get to the stuff that's, you know, what we would call wine and the, the level of alcohol, 12 to 15% in, in by volume, okay? So in, in the scripture, it's generic. It, doesn't, it just refers to the blood of the grape, what comes out of the grape. Okay. In Isaiah 5, you see in verse 11, this is a person who is seeking to get drunk. They start in the morning and they drink and 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 drink, and drink until night. And finally, they're, they're, they're slammed, whatever. They're completely drunk, inebriated. That is not the case with our modern alcohol. I mean, hard liquor, you, you, I mean, you can take two or three swigs and you're, you're done. Uh, but even wine, it only takes, it only takes literally uh, to get your, to get, depending on your body, your body type, it only takes three glasses of wine to where you are no longer, no longer under the legal limit to drive. And at that point, you are without question drunk in the biblical sense. Okay, that's only three drinks. This guy is not drinking three. This guy is sitting, sitting there drinking all day long. Now, either he's absolutely trying to commit suicide with alcohol or the alcohol he's drinking is not as strong as what we would, what we would, be, what we would commonly know. And that's what we've seen in the Scripture. It's mixed. And actually, it says in verse 11... Um, or rather in Proverbs 23, they that go to seek mixed wine. This mixed wine is not the mixture with water. This is a, a wine that fortifies the alcohol content where it's mixed with other things to make it more intoxicating. And then in Isaiah 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 22, the Bible says, Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine. Again, you, you, see, you, you hear this language of, with men as if it's some sort of some sort of uh, mark of, of manliness to be able to drink alcohol. You guys know what I'm talking about. And it's not. And men of strength to mingle strong drink. But a woe is pronounced upon them. Well, I, I can drink it and it doesn't affect me. Whatever. It does. It absolutely does. All right, so back in Proverbs 23, this Isaiah 5 reminds us of this truth along with verse 30 in, in Proverbs 23. They that tarry long at the wine. Again, you see this fact of biblical wine, although it might have had alcohol in it, in some concentration was mixed with water. And so you literally had to sit there and drink it for hours. It wasn't like what we call it now. So what does that mean? So, so someone says, well, Jesus turned water into wine. Okay, you put, all right, just, let's just assume there was some measure of alcohol in that, just like this is what we've seen in the scriptures. We've studied it, all right? So you get a cup of that and you put it in front of you. You drink that cup. You're not going to get buzzed. It's not like that. This is not the modern equivalent. That's why it says, they that tarry long at the wine. Again, you don't have to drink wine a long time to be, to be intoxicated by it. So we're talking about apples and oranges, and that is an important thing for us to, to recognize. So when you see in the Scripture about wine, and, and you hear people say, well, I'll just drink a little, what we mean by a little now and what we mean by a little then, a little then might have been a whole cup of wine. And it might have had practically no effect on a person. A little now is not that way. It's not that way. And besides that, and we've already studied this as well, I'm kind of trying to build upon it. When we say little, how little is little, that's a judgment 
right? That's a judgment, which alcohol itself inhibits. So what you're in is you're in, a, you're in like a cascading situation, a, a, a downward spiral where the judgment, where we judge, well, how much is a little, is actually being affected by the, the, the alcohol itself. Now, here's, a, here's an issue. What's the legal limit in most states in the U.S.? 0.08, all right? This is not a biblical standard. So what I did is I looked up 0.08, blood alcohol concentration. What are the effects of it? Now, 0.08, again, is the legal limit for driving. There is no legal limit for drinking, all right? 0.08, here's the effects. And of course, this will vary from person to person, really, but when you're talking about blood alcohol concentration, that is a, a, like a scientific measurement of concentration in, in a, a single individual's blood. So it's going to have a similar effect on everyone because it's, it's, a, it's a concentration. Impaired coordination, difficulty with fine motor skills, trouble walking straight, stumbling, difficulty picking up or holding objects. Their movements will appear clumsy or exaggerated. Slurred speech, noticeably slurred and unclear. Trouble forming words correctly, speaking slowly or with less precision. Slowed reaction time. Delayed responses to questions. Reduced ability to quickly respond to sudden changes in the environment. This is the hallmark of this level of intoxication. Now remember, we're just at the legal limit here. Reduced inhibitions. It manifests as extroverted behavior. An increase at, in at-risk behavior. Who hath wounds without cause? Extroverted, babbling, talking to everybody and anybody when you don't normally do that. Actions that seem out of character, like being uh, overly friendly or exhibiting poor judgment. Impaired judgment is another one. Making poor or risky choices. Inability to recognize potential dangers or consequences of your actions. Altered emotional state, mood swings, aggression, sentimentality, laughing inappropriately, becoming agitated, displaying emotions that seem out of context. Difficulty concentrating, short-term memory impairment. Of course, physical signs, bloodshot eyes, which is actually directly stated here. Um, and of course, nausea and vomiting. I mean... Anybody just like to vomit for fun? Yeah. When that comes in my house, my kids make fun of me because the whole house is awake when I get sick. <laughs> my wife's like, I can't believe he's talking about that. So what I just described to you is nothing spiritual. It's not from a religious source or anything, but it's a description of someone at the legal limit, at the legal limit, not above it, at the legal limit. Three to five standard drinks, three to five cups of modern wine, a glass of modern wine, three to five shots of hard liquor. That's what that is. Okay? But this is not a biblical definition. Okay? I do want you to see how, how well it matches what we see here, which is obviously referring to a drunk person. And besides that, the legal limit is only for driving. And so here's what this legal limit has done for us. We as Christians have taken this legal limit to mean that's what it means to be drunk. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who said that? This is a, this is because the law is the law and they have to set standards for driving because, you know, they don't want people to get killed. And so, but, but that seeped into our Christian thinking 
into thinking if I'm under the legal limit, I'm not drunk. And that is false. That is false. We have come to accept 0.08% blood alcohol concentration as the definition of drunk. And what's more, what's more, we think that somehow if we don't get arrested, it's okay. <laughs> as long as we don't drive, it's all right. Wrong. Remember, God is looking at us at all times. God is looking at us at all times. We do not take, as a, as a Bible-believing child of God, we do not take our standards for something moral from what the some moral legal standard. We would be a mess if we did that. The definition of drunk is far sooner than that. It starts, and again, it's not even a, lo, a hard line. It's a gradual progression. All right. Look at verse number 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Any of you that have ever, that have ever drunk alcohol knows that at the beginning something that is foul smelling and foul tasting, it tastes rancid, right? That's why when you put it to your mouth, if by accident, and that's, that might have happened to you before, and something with it had either went bad or it was accidentally alcohol for some reason, it's rancid. It tastes rancid, okay? But after the first drink or two, your inhibitions are gone and it just, it flows. It moves aright. So the Lord says, look not thou upon the wine when it is red. All right, so this is, we're looking at in a biblical perspective, okay? Think about it in biblical terms, okay? We acknowledge that in Bible times, there was no way to prevent the fermentation process. So when there were wine, they mixed it with water, and somebody was drinking it. You drink it, but the moment that that wine is affecting, affecting you in any way, when it's moving aright, this is what he says, look not thou upon it. So it wasn't that drinking it was a sin. Obviously, it wasn't. The Lord made wine, right? But it was, the Lord says, look not thou upon it when, when this is happening. See, the Lord is saying, you don't need to get to this point. It doesn't need to affect you like that. And here's, and here's where the crux, I knew one, we knew a, a, a girl in Cambodia who professed to be a Christian. And she talked about how she went out and drank, and, and drank cocktails one night and my wife confronted her about it. And, th- and you, gotta, you gotta understand the context. In Cambodia, it is not like the, you know, in the Christian world where, you know, a lot of people think it's okay to, to, you know, to drink. In Cambodia, Buddhism absolutely forbids any alcohol, period, okay? And so these, 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 this lady, this girl was talking about her and her mom going out and drinking cocktails, and that is a shame and a reproach in Cambodia especially. To be a Christian in doing that, the Cambodians, regardless of what the Bible says, the Cambodians look at it as sin, Right? And she did that, so my wife confronted her because she, she had influence over Cambodian people. And she said, now she's, she says her mom, her and her mom went out and drank, and drank cocktails, like on a Friday or Saturday night. She says, but I, what, what was her exact words? But I never, what's the word? Her judgment was never impaired. What is a cocktail? 
Every cocktail that is made has at least one, one and a half ounce shot of hard liquor. That's, that's kind of the definition. And it's, the taste is covered by fruit juice or other kinds of things that actually are palatable because nobody wants to drink hard liquor straight up. But one cocktail is one drink. Listen, it doesn't take just a, in the moment you speak of cocktails in the plural, you're at two or more. And she says, my judgment's never impaired. Well, that's a, a whole nother question, a whole nother issue. But the thing is, here's the, here's the thing. Besides the testimony part of it, here you have someone who says, I, was, I never lost control. That's the thing. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby. The very judgment is being impaired, and one doesn't even know they're being deceived. Verse number 30, verse 32 says this. The Lord says, it's, it's plain in verse number 31. Don't even look upon it. It's not supposed to have any effect on us. So the question then is, then why would a Christian drink? And I'll get to that in a minute. Verse number 32 says, at the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Notice that. At the last. This is delayed, delayed suffering. And delayed suffering is a deceptive principle. Delayed suffering is part of the deception of alcohol. If it doesn't hurt right when I do it, then it's okay for me to do it and I can deal with the, the consequences later. The principle of delayed suffering. Like many sins, it doesn't appear immediately. In the immediate, it's pleasurable. Verse number 33, Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thine heart shall utter perverse things. The alteration of our own perception. If you're married, God forbid. It does, listen, when you drink alcohol, it doesn't, affect, it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't care whether you're married or you're supposed to be faithful to your wife. And supposed to be looking. This is thine eyes shall behold. So you're supposed to be only looking at your wife or flirting with your wife. Alcohol does not care about that. It alters our own perception, reduces our inhibitions. That's what it says. Thine heart shall utter perverse things, things that, you, that are there. And we talked about this with human nature. Things that are present in your heart will come out under the influence of alcohol because it lowers that inhibition. In other words, all those wicked things that the Spirit of God as a Christian in you suppresses, right? Tries to rid us of those things. They'll come right back out because they're there in that wicked flesh and that wicked nature of ours. And then he says, verse number 35, They have stricken me, thou shalt say, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. And here lies another deception of alcohol, the deception of its addictive nature. Immediate pleasure to numb the sorrow that comes along with it. You look at all these things, and you, you should ask yourself, Why? Why? Here's the principles I want to take away, and we're, we're out of time. Number, number one, and this kind of concludes and wraps up the, the, the whole study on this subject. The comparison, the comparison of biblical wine to what we have today is hardly a sufficient and honest ground to excuse drinking alcohol. People say, Jesus drank wine, 
Well, the Bible does not forbid drinking of wine, only drinking to excess. And it does forbid drinking to excess. But the thing is, you're not talking about the same thing. Modern alcoholic drinks are made and sold primarily for their intoxicating effects. And anyone that denies it is not being intellectually honest. Number two. By the time you've reached the legal limit, you've already gone far past the scriptural definition of drunk. Number three, what about the motives of drinking alcohol? If we know from our study, if we know the sorrow, the pain, the shame, and the contentions that accompany alcohol, if we know the deception of alcohol, including its addictive nature, if we know that society, how society associates alcohol with sin as they look at us as a believer, if we know that uh, our own, if we know we have a wicked nature within us, that we have a hard enough time being sober, you know, living a life that's honoring to God, if we know that all the, if we know we have so many beverages available to us today that were not available in biblical times, why in the world would a Christian drink alcohol? It is utterly and wholly unnecessary. And there, I think there are only two answers. Why would a Christian drink alcohol? Number one, peer pressure. They do not want to be seen as an outsider or as a person who appears to be a teetotaler. There's a certain level of shame that comes with that. They just, they're afraid of it. The fear of man bringeth a snare, Brother David. That's a good point. Number two, why would a Christian then drink alcohol knowing all these things? For the intoxicating effect. Is that not the very problem? Is that not the problem? That is the very problem we're talking about. So a person says, well, I drink it because, you know, obviously, I mean, I like the effect. This is exactly what God is warning us against. That's the whole point of Proverbs 23. Let's pray.